I can only dream myself into the middle of things Yet consciousness has no middle What has no boundaries has no middle Welcome to my series A collection of conversations where I hope to explore the mental and emotional processes of young minds This is my subconscious Tap in I feel like I'm about to interview Michelle Obama. <laughs> wow. No, but before we start to explore the intrinsic or the underlying messages and meanings behind your upcoming anthology, I just wanted to touch on something that I thought is so prominent within young minds, but not really, not really explored, not really touched upon, is the element of a coping mechanism because me personally i haven't experienced the necessity to have a coping mechanism but i feel like with you the way you've described it within your conversation with the the black arts forum it's it's really put the idea into light for me so i just wanted to touch on that so what is it to you you know how do you define a coping mechanism so mental health in itself is it's complex, it's subjective. And so any way of dealing with such a thing is going to be complex and subjective to the person and that personal experience and what that person has access to and the people they're around and the area that they're in. And therefore, um, different people have some of the most abstract ways of dealing with their mental health and their life experiences. For me, for years, I literally had one and that was self-harm and already off the bat you know that how deleterious that is and how damaging that is to the psyche um, because what that perpetrates is that the only way you can deal with what you are going through is by harming yourself even more and because I became so comfortable and so at home with harming myself in a way to feel I had some sort of control over what was what my mind was putting me through. I never ever disrespect or question other people's coping mechanisms because I understand how helpless you can feel sometimes, especially when you don't understand um, what you're experiencing or if you're angry at yourself for experiencing such a thing. In the black community and from my personal perspective in the black British slash black British Caribbean community, our priority is surviving in a society that doesn't want us here. And surviving in a society that does everything in their power through every single institution to make sure that we remain in a place of economic deprivation, educational deprivation. And you see the results of that being expressed through um, activities of the young people in inner city areas and so conclusively is it's almost inevitable for a lot of young black people to feel as if their only way of dealing with such a thing is to resort to harming themselves whether that's self-harm or whether that's you know drugs or alcohol or legal activities just to feel like you have some some sort of control over what you're experiencing because 
if you feel like you don't have access to anyone to talk to or anyone to help you, or you feel like you can't talk to your family or you feel like you can't talk to your boys and ends about how you're feeling, then sometimes it really does feel like there's literally nothing else you can do. Um, I think that's why I'm so grateful that I was able to latch onto poetry when I did. Um, and self-harm is difficult to speak about because like a lot of young black people in the same position as me, I haven't yet um, won that battle. But I think poetry allowed me to pull myself, pull my heart into something that wasn't harming me even more. And I'm never going to tell someone else that they need to do poetry to express how they're feeling because that's not going to be everyone's um, form of coping or everyone's form of dealing with their experiences but something that allows you to write something down and something that allows you to interpret what is going on in your brain is very very important because sometimes things can get stuck up there and then you aren't able to understand it and then it is is um processed and then expressed negatively yeah i literally agree with that to the fullest extent and when i write poetry when I write pieces for my spoken word, for my short films, I see it as a way for me to transmute emotions, emotions which have built up over time, you know? But I don't necessarily think that that falls into the idea of a coping mechanism because the dictionary definition of coping is literally to face and deal with responsibilities. And to me, I don't think poetry is a way around that. So I feel like that necessity is extremely personal and unique. But the underlying cause, the cause which perhaps forces people to have that necessity is non-discriminatory. I feel like it can actually have the same underlying effect to people who have coping mechanisms. And speaking of the black community, yeah, you're right. I don't feel like there, there should be any restraint in the understanding that there are differences in pain coping between black and non-black individuals. And during the time of George Floyd's death, I, I researched into how oppression transmutes into the black mentality. And I did come across an actual, an actual study that said black individuals actually experience greater pain than non-black individuals. And what I found is that there does seem to be a relationship between race and pain coping. And that black people, black individuals do use pain coping strategies more frequently. But it's hard to understand what the underlying cause of that disparity is. I was thinking about that the other day as well because um, we are either personally experiencing or viewing or hearing about either the physical brutality or the covert brutality of our own. When I say covert, I mean through institutional systematic racism, which is infiltrated through um, the economic system, the finance system, the housing system the education system, media, and therefore that is a constant attack on the black psyche because it tells you that this is what we are worth. Yeah, 100%. I feel like there's already, there's already awareness that there are so many racially motivated factors which creates this, this separation between different communities, you know, what the black community experiences within our psyche to what non-black communities experience. And also to me, it does seem to tie into what you've said about this essence of comfortability, being able to open up around your friends, you know, your guys, because maybe if there's a lack of comfortability, 
If there's a lack of intimate expression with your friends, with your family, don't you feel like that can lead to build up? The fact that so many young black people resort to self-harm as a coping mechanism, of course the self-harm spectrum is never-ending. Um, for me, something that I generally do try to target in my book because it is and generally is a um, psychological legacy from slavery and colonialism. Let me give you an example. Now, if you tell someone from the day that they're born, every single day you tell this person that you are a criminal, you are a criminal, you are a criminal, by the time that person is 12, 13 years old, they will physically implement and manifest what you have told them they are from the day they were born. Now, for us, from the day that we were born, from the day we go to school, we are taught that we were slaves, we were indentured servants, we were concubines, um, we were being used, mis- um, we were mistreated through medical experiments, we were being brutalised by police. This has happened in segregation, apartheid. We have been taught and we have only ever been shown all the mistreatment of our people. And so as you get older and you internalise all this information that you've been fed and the only information you've been fed about yourself and your people is negative information, eventually, whether it is consciously or subconsciously, you will reenact the very thing you've been told you are worth. And the only thing that we were ever really taught through the British education system is that we have been mistreated by the entire world. But that really is only our short-term history, which is exactly why it is so, 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 so important for young black people to educate themselves on pre-colonial, pre-slavery, pre-European involved history um, and the isolated history of the African continent because that is not what you're going to be taught in school. Not being able to talk to your friends, your families or people that are around you about what you're experiencing is extremely damaging because it results in a person being left feeling extremely isolated. Um, Someone coming from a Caribbean environment and a Caribbean community. Caribbeans, like I always talk about as a result of slavery and colonialism, are very um, hot-skinned, like a lot of other people from the diaspora, because that is literally just um, a result of our conditions and what we, were, we, what we have experienced by the hands of the West. <laughs> and so... Having a fragile mental health is something that isn't really welcomed um, in such communities because for us, it's just like, we'll just get on with it. But because that is because we've never had the chance and we've never had the opportunity to really care about our own mental health because we've had so many other things we've had to battle and deal with at the same time. Um, you know, you can't build while you're fighting a war. That's something that my dad tells me all the time. You cannot build while you're fighting a war. Mental health is all about building. It's all about growth. It's all about setting foundations and building off that. And therefore, if you're fighting a war with the world, you cannot build and establish a strong mental health at the same time. You cannot multitask. And right now, we are still fighting... A war, you could say, although it's, it is very much, very, very, very much covert and it is very integrated into the system and the institution. 
and so it's harder to even see that you are fighting a war and that is why it's also harder for us to talk about mental health because we are doing so many things at the same time that we don't even know we are doing yeah i understand that and when we look at our education system in fact when we try to visualize the reform that we need within our education system the learning about pre-colonial africa the learning about the multi-dimensional effects of the British Empire, the learning about what, what the crisis that is going on in Africa today, in Libya, how slavery still exists. I feel like it can be quite difficult to internalize all of that information. And while it may be beneficial to our understanding of ourselves and the ability to have informed opinions and educated opinions, it may or it has the possibility of exacerbating this mental oppression that I feel like is still prevalent within the black community. And I feel like that possibility combined with the fragility of our minds or having a fragile mental health, as you say, I feel like it has the possibility of doing more damage than good. Which is why, in my opinion, in order to possess all of that knowledge with the right mind frame, there also needs to be an understanding that your power comes from your perspective and your perspective comes from your attitude towards your experiences. My friend Andra told me, be powerful because you owe yourself ownership of you more than anyone else. Exactly, power is something that must be manifested. And once it's manifested, you can implement it. But before you can implement such a thing, you must have the knowledge to support it. And someone who would consider themselves as a budding historian I think it is so important to understand one's history, but in a multi-dimensional perspective, like you said, we cannot only learn about our oppression, we also must learn about how we thrived and how we dominated the world, how we were one of the most developed people for a long, 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 long time. Um, the fall of African civilizations only came um, at the latter end of the 16th, 17th century, really, and therefore... All of these things, I think, they contribute to the black psyche. They contribute to how we interact with each other and how we interact with the world. And in order for us to win this battle, we need to win it with a um, unanimous goal, a unanimous perspective. And in order to do that, every revolution begins in the mind you have to make a choice to want change. And you can't want change if within yourself you are still broken. We must heal ourselves. We must forgive ourselves. We must respect ourselves. We must love ourselves. We must love each other. And only then can we move. And only then can the movement progress and establish itself in this modern world. Because, you know, as a result of colonialism, we've been scattered across the globe. Um, you know, I identify as a British Caribbean because I am part of the Caribbean diaspora. However, you as identify as a British African and already there's a division between us. And that is the situation for all black people across the globe because, you know, you have, you have African French, you have black Hispanic, African American. Um, and so we identify with different things and sometimes our blackness is something that is compromised 
because of having to conform in order to survive. Oh, that is definitely a topic because, yes, with blackness comes this universal experience that is common to black communities all around the world. But to me, I've actually realised that the black experience is quite unique and it takes many forms within communities that disparities normally with countries. And I think this can be quite problematic because, yes, I agree, unity is key. But in, in the UK, we see the amalgamation of the black UK experience with the black experience in America. And I feel like that's not necessarily our fault because it's what the media portrays, it's what the media throws at us every day. But I feel like this can lead to us not realising that the black UK experience, even when we relate it to in terms of racism, it's a lot more systematic than what than the explicit racism that they experience in the US. And the thing is, I used to think like that, actually. I used to see no difference in the African-American struggle, the, the black African struggle and the black British struggle. But it, it took my girlfriend to make me realise that, yes, there are figures like Asata Shakur and Angela Davis but there are also figures like Olive Morris, you know, who we're celebrating today. Exactly, and I think we need to really um, identify the differences in which racism is exercised in America and how racism is exercised in the UK. Because in the UK, people generally, generally struggle to mention race. It scares them, it's scary to talk about it despite the fact that it is so well integrated in every single system that the UK runs off, really. And in some ways, you could say it's harder to fight racism in the UK because a lot of people don't know it's there. Celebrating Olive Morris actually made me really upset because a lot of people didn't even know who she was. And it made me realise that in Britain, black radicalism is isn't televised for a very specific purpose. Um, black activism isn't televised um, because I think they want us to believe that our experience with racism is nowhere near as severe as in the US. And although yes, it is exercised differently, it produces the same result. A hundred percent it is exercised differently. It is filtered down systematically in institutions and microaggressions. It is a very tricky situation and a very tricky conversation as well because you can look at it in so many different ways. And when we don't see that ourselves, don't you feel like don't you feel like that is what could what could cause coping mechanisms to formulate. And it's like fighting a ghost, like you never really, you feel like your back is against the wall all the time um, as a young black person in Britain, but unless you actively educate yourself, you never really know why. I think that coping mechanisms can formulate from that because you're finding your own way to process what you experience on a day to day, whether or not you know it's a um, product of systematic racism. And with that said, it seems like coping mechanisms, they manifest to prevent complete breakdown. 
But then again, do you think that's healthy? Do you feel like that's a that's a resolution, you know, that's a catharsis for problems? Or is there an alternative way of healing? I think, um, reflecting on my own experience, I've realised that certain coping mechanisms are relatively transient. Their effectiveness is short-lived um, because really all it is is a mechanism that allows you to temporarily get on with your life without it perturbing your daily routine. For some people, they don't have time to have a mental breakdown. They don't have time to have a kumbaya moment and talk about how they're feeling. Or they just feel as if they don't have the time. And so it is a, the ability to get on with things, really. Um, however, I think it's about acknowledging what mechanisms are causing more harm than good and what mechanisms actually are benefiting you in the long term. For me, that realisation was a long journey. It took me a while to realise that, hold on a minute, this isn't actually helping me. You know, it's a temporary safety buffer. I feel better for five, ten minutes, and then all of a sudden I'm in the same space, mental space again. Um, and that's where poetry came in, because it was a lot more long-term. It was benefiting, and it was healing, because I can read that again, and I can understand how I was feeling two weeks ago. Mm, and there's so much strength in that realisation. You know, any any art form, any creative process is also a healing process. And I feel like it allows us to take control of our own minds, take control, but also surrender to our thoughts and feelings when we don't know what to do with them. It allows us to work with these feelings instead of suppress them and turn them into growth factors, you know. And I appreciate that you're able to articulate that, you know, you're able to articulate your journey. And with that, I'd like to thank you for communicating your experiences. You know, it's very inspiring that you're able to enlighten people with not only your art, but with your confidence, you know, your confidence in, in the challenges that you faced. So thank you. No problem. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak my mind. <laughs> um, and I think this has been a really insightful conversation. This has been Nubia Shyam Smith, an artist, writer, poet, established author. <laughs> the list goes on, but ultimately just a really, really inspiring friend. You can't want change if within yourself you are still broken. We must heal ourselves. We must forgive ourselves. We must respect ourselves. We must love ourselves. We must love each other. And only then can we move and only then can the movement progress and establish itself in this modern world. And I'd also like to say thank you to those who are listening right now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this conversation over the past couple weeks. The amount of listeners have risen and that's really moved something in me and it's made me really happy. So I just appreciate all of you who are listening. And thank you and see you on the next episode. Peace. <laughs>